Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. I'm your host, Amanda G. Always excited to be here with you. Always excited to bring y'all some new episodes. Hope you are enjoying your 2023 so far. If you live somewhere that celebrates Mardi Gras, or even if you don't, happy Mardi Gras season. We're in the midst of it here in New Orleans, and it's full of parades and costumes and beads and laughter and joy. And I'm so excited for it, just like I'm excited for this episode. Jade Esteban Estrada, comedian, singer, drag performer, actor. He does it all. And I was so thankful when he came through on his comedy tour that I got to meet him, got to do some shows together. We got to spend some time together. And I was like, you got to get on my podcast. And he said, absolutely. So stay tuned at the end of the episode. We have a clip that Jade gave us of some of his stand up. Uh, but right now, let's get to it. Let's get to Jade Esteban Estrada. All right. Hey, Jade, where, where are you coming to us from? I am in the city of angels right now. I'm in uh, Los Angeles. Just did a show on Sunday. I have uh, two days off, and then I'm heading back to New Mexico. We'll talk about this later. But I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in Roswell, New Mexico, in, in about a week. So, oh, awesome! Like, maybe, maybe you and the aliens can get together and do a comedy show. <laughs> you know, we'll, alien, we'll go intergalactic, not just international, but. Alien specific comedy. I love it. <laughs> what's the deal with green? <laughs> you know, you'd be more like, what's the deal with anal probes? Am I right? <laughs> Is it really a probe? <laughs> that's so funny. I think that's where we're going, though, Amanda. I think one day we will have to be like, okay, these, this, these, they could be humans, right? Like, these humans were raised on Mars. So they don't have the benefit of knowing what it's like to grow up on Earth. So what kind of comedy are they going like, to be into? <laughs> the future, I think that's the future. You know, we, we do have to be open to all different kinds of people and their experiences. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, imagine trying to, it's hard enough to relate to people nowadays, you know. Like, you can't even give a pop culture reference anymore. Like, back in the day, everyone watched, like, way back before our time, like, our parents watched like there was three channels yeah and that's all you could watch and at a certain point in the night there was just infomercials there was nothing absolutely and then and then when we grew up there's cable and there's you know different options and then now there's so so many different streaming services that even when something's popular it's still not ubiquitous in the way that it used to be you know what i mean right and i'm always surprised when young i mean i mean shouldn't be surprised but i'm happy to see young comedians experience that on stage when they do something like to me so esoteric but they think everybody knows what it is and they go mm -hmm. oh so i guess you don't watch this or listen to this and i'm like you know what that's a good moment for you 
to realize that everybody is coming from somewhere else. I always, no, no, no. I don't always say this. This is one of the gems I think I picked up while being on tour is that in stand-up comedy, every year there's a new batch of 21-year-olds that come into the comedy clubs that have no connection to past references, like anything from the 20th century. They, they just don't, or even the early zeros. And, and, and you have to, you know, in this business, you just have to realize that that's just going to be a thing. You know, I love playing those small comedy clubs in different cities that, you know, they charge five bucks. It's like a very underground feel. And everybody who's there is no older than 24 years old. I love playing those clubs because that's the true litmus test of like, Mm -hmm. can you connect with these people who grew up with completely different references? Yeah, and grew up with computers and phones and, mm-hmm. you know, these, these fucking two-year-olds now have better phones than me. So I'm just Absolutely. like, who knows when they're going to be 18, 21. Absolutely. <laughs> but you're on, um, I know you're on a tour right now because you came through New Orleans um, and that's how we connected. You came through New Orleans, you came back through New I Orleans. I did. I put you on every show that I could put you on. Oh, I had um, so much fun in your shows. Thank you so much. Yeah, we had so much fun. But um, what was the, I mean, number one, how are you tour? Like, physically, emotionally, financially, like how is this all working? And and what was the plan? What was the idea of like, hey, I'm going to hit the road for months at a time? You know, how did that all come together? You know, it, it hit me, you know, I'll, I'll, okay, I need to go back. I was coming back from the P3 Comedy Festival in Pensacola. You know, the gay festival, if you're not familiar with it, uh, it is basically an LGBTQ festival where people come, uh, queer comedians specifically, come from all over the country and do this festival that's over Memorial Day weekend in Pensacola. And it is a wonderful event. And I did that. And the whole weekend, I was like blown away that queer comedy had evolved so much since the time when I was the only gay performer on a, on a stand-up comedy lineup. I mean, this was like beyond the beyond. I mean, it was like you had, uh, I think there was one intersexed um, comedian. You have trans men, tra- trans men, trans women, uh, qu- uh, gender fluid. Everything you could imagine was in this festival. And I was just sitting there completely blown away. And when I was coming back to San Antonio, which is my hometown, I just had this this realization that this was the time to go on tour because I had been genuinely interested in seeing how the country had changed after Me Too, after Black Lives Matter, after a pandemic. Like who we were as Americans now, I said, and I don't have anything else I'm more interested in than finding out the question to that through the lens of comedy, through the backdrop of comedy, I suppose. I'm writing a book about all the experiences because every city has been mind-blowing, Amanda. Yeah, this I can imagine. Oh, my goodness. I I, I just have <laughs> just so many experiences. Young people, old people, people of different ethnicities. Uh, the gender issue certainly comes up. One thing that has absolutely blown me away is the fact that no matter where I go these days, 
Well, let me say this. In the past, everyone has always said, here's Jade. He's a gay comedian. Not anymore. It seems that across the board, there's this trans identity because of the way I present myself that promoters and audiences alike are associating me with the trans conversation that's happening around the country and around the world. And so they'll, some people will call me he, some people will call me they, some people will call me she. They, they always ask my, my pronouns. They always associate me in some way with RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> and so that for me has been really uh, eye-opening because, you know, you don't know what your show is until you put it up in front of people. That's just been a theater saying since the beginning of time. But I feel like my show has changed because we as a people have changed. And and because I am the kind of comedian or I, I present myself as a result of conditions in my life that weren't of my choosing. You know, I didn't choose to be Mexican. <laughs> I didn't choose to be gay or queer or, or even trans, if you want to call me that. And so how people view me and my comedy has been the adventure in itself. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm still yeah. trying to make sense of it myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it totally does. And um, and because how long have you been doing comedy? Uh, this will be my 29th year. Yeah, so you have, I mean, you've been around the block enough, even before gay marriage was legal, even before this conversation Absolutely. was even being had even before it was LGBT, much less LGBTQIA, you've been out and you've been out to audiences, right? Like absolutely since the get go. So I've seen I remember I remember how evolved I felt, Amanda. <laughs> when I used to say, you guys, it's not GLBT anymore. It's LGBT because women come first now. <laughs> which I think is very gentlemanly of us. And this was like in the night, I remember like very, very respectfully correcting people. And, and we're talking about the people who, I don't know how old they would be now, but they were the gay leaders of like the seventies and the eighties. And they were just, you always knew how old a person was online by how they identified the community. If they said GLBT, you knew you were dealing with someone who was, from the old school. If they if they if it was LGBT, then you knew you were dealing with someone who's like 90s early zeros. But once the Q started coming in and people still were like no LGBTQ, LGBT, LGBT, you knew that you were dealing with the new older generation <laughs> who were forgetting to put the Q and then forgetting to put the the plus and then the IA came into the mix. And then they are also the people who will argue fiercely about the use of the word queer. Yeah, we get that a lot. You know, I, I mean, this is Near and Queer to My Heart podcast. And as you know, I run a show, Greetings from Queer Mountain. Which I love! That's the best <laughs> show in the world, you guys. Yeah, it's it's, it's a great... It, I mean, I love that show so much. And and the name, I didn't make the name. I, got, I inherited the name because the show started in Austin, Texas. And <laughs> I basically... Uh, run the branch in New Orleans, but or the franchise right. in New Orleans, but I didn't come up with the name, but I love the name. I love the idea of a queer mountain that we're all trying to, to right. climb. You know, the lesbians, we love our, our hiking and whatnot. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, a lot of older folks have come up to me after shows and been like, I don't like that you use the word queer because queer was uh, something that, you know, still haunts me to this day. And, you know, for my generation, it's more of an umbrella term. 
um, of a term where we can be inclusive to everybody or as much as possible to everybody and try to be respectful. So, uh, but I also was never called queer in a derogatory way. Mm -hmm. Um, I was, you know, definitely gay was used in a derogatory way, but I feel like that hasn't been an issue with identification. Um, But when I was younger, it was like, if you were saying something was stupid, you'd say something was gay. Oh, that's so gay. Um, And everyone knew what that meant or they call people gay in a derogatory way. And I feel like that didn't have the same, carryover that other words may have had. Right. I, I agree with everything that you say. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's just been this big journey of identification and how you view yourself. This is this even happened to me in El Paso on, was it Thursday night? And I was at the El Paso comic strip. And, you know, more and more, this is common. We're in a main in a mainstream comedy show like that, you'll have a whole group of, of gay men or gay women or young, young folks who identify as queer. And after the show, you have young people come up and hug you like they've never, that like they haven't seen you in 20 years and say, thank you. And what can I do for you? And this other, this other kid, I thought this was so interesting, Amanda, this is a shout out to how in the old days, when being gay or lesbian was so surreptitious an experience that we had to be looking out for us, looking out for each other. And that's why they used to call it family, you know, Oh, their family, whether in the workplace, you know, around town, that meant that that was part, you know, someone you had to look out for because they had the same experiences of discrimination that you did. Well, this, Kid comes up to me, I'm going to say he's like 23 years old, he's Latino, and he comes up to me as if he was in charge of me somehow. <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> where are you staying? And what clubs are you going to? And how long are you in town? And uh, like he was like going down a checklist to make sure that I was okay. And I'm listening to him answering his questions, trying to keep my... <laughs> privacy as private as possible, but I'm listening to him and I realize that where it's coming from is from that space of you are family and you are the only gay representative on stage tonight. And it is incumbent upon us to make sure that you are okay because you're a guest in our town. And I was like, wow, that is, it's almost like they threw, like in 2022 and going into the new year, it's almost like because of globalism and, and social media, they've thrown all of these people on earth with some people are thinking in a very 1970s mindset. Some people are thinking in a, in a 2030s mindset. Some people are in the, in the 2010s forever, you know, and they're all talking to each other. It's very like, very much like the Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with mm-hmm. that biblical yes. story? It, I always think of that Bible story when I have interactions like that, where everybody is hearing something different or uh, responding to what's being presented as something different. So someone came up to me the other day talking about how they were working on a joke. And it for the first time, everybody in the whole room laughed heartily. And I said, that's awesome. And they're like, it's just so great that they got the joke. And I said, well, (laughs) I said, you know, there's something to consider here. I said, 
if you were to do a survey, my friend, <laughs> and ask everybody why they laughed at your joke, I think you will be surprised at all the answers that you'll get. I don't think you'll get one answer that is like the other, you know, because we're all responding to comedy and to people and the things around us based on our previous experiences in life. Yeah, I think about that too. Like when I have a joke when, and I, you know, my little notes, I'll title it something. Like I'll, you know, title it like, you know, a softball or whatever it is. And then someone else will come up to me and be like, wow, you have that really great joke about gay pride parades. Like, you know, but that's what they see it as. Like exactly, exactly. And, and it's that same thing, but it's still connected with them. And it still connects with me. You know, I don't tell jokes that I don't love myself. Um, I have done that a few times where I have jokes that do well, but I hate them. And they just don't always say well. I, I hear I you. I hear you. I don't believe in them, but but it's interesting what people see in, in certain jokes or conversations or, you know, the pieces that they think are funny that I'm, you know, where I'm like, that's not the point of the joke, but I'm glad it is for you. Like, if you relate to that, even if it's not the way I intended for you to relate to that, that's great. That's what we're here to do. You know, I think with like 29 years of being on stages out and proud and seeing this, you know, first of all, be being, I don't want to say willing, um, and I don't want to say brave. I hate the word brave, um, you know, but like. I guess, you know, for comics, we have such a, if you are a true stand-up comic, and this is what I say, I say, there are people that do stand-up for different reasons. Like, there's the two main reasons, and this is my theory, I don't know who else believes in this, but people do stand-up for two reasons. One, the love of comedy, and two, attention. And some people just do it for attention, and they're not really, like, they don't really understand comedy or want to understand comedy. Yeah. And then there's the people that just love what comedy does and what it brings out in themselves and in an audience and, and that connection. And that's, you know, such a, a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. And I see that, like I've seen you perform, like you, you light up on stage and, and seeing the progression of not just queer comedy, but, but comedy in general um, has probably got to be pretty cool. It is. And it, it has been a very, very, very unique experience. I thank God every, every single day that I found comedy and comedy found me. I started saying this, regarding my sister's children. I have two nephews and a niece. And I said it, I think, when they were young and when they were just coming, they had just come out of the womb. But I, I love saying, I'm right, I'm right. When I see them, I said, you know, Celeste, the way these kids are, that's my, that's my sister's name, the way these kids are now as children, the way they came out, this is it. Their personalities are not going to change that much at all. Education, environment, experience will inform them, but this is who they're, you're dealing with. And I have from the get-go, Amanda, always been trying to make people laugh throughout my life. I was in choir trying to make a joke of, I was doing parody songs. I was, I was, a, I was a model when I was very young and I was a dancer for a huge part of my life. And I was always doing something silly and funny. And people were always yelling at me, stop being silly and ridiculous. Do the dance the way you're supposed to do it. And when I found comedy, I was like, I should have always, I should have never diverted in any other direction. I should have stayed the course. But uh, I think I think this is for anyone who, who feels like their mother, their father, or society says you should not do this, though you seem naturally inclined to, because economically, it's going to be better for you later. Socially, it's going to be better for you later. I tell you, in the end, 
you will come back to where you were always meant to be. I look at it like a rubber band. You, you stretch the rubber band and it always snaps back to how it was always meant to be. Wow, look at that. That's a solid metaphor. It is. Wow. <laughs> Life is a metaphor. <laughs> yes, I love it. Let's, let's take it back. Um, were you born and raised in San Antonio or is that just where you call home now? I was born on Lackland Air Force Base, uh, which is a, it, within San Antonio. So yes, my, my father was in Vietnam and my mom really wanted her kids to be born in, in their hometown. So she didn't, I don't think they had the option for the wives to go over there at that time now that I think about it. But she had me there and I was raised mostly in San Antonio when my father was traveling. I did live a little a little while in Kentucky. I did live a little while in Colorado and these, these bases that they had. But my mom and dad were headed for divorce. So there was a lot of always coming back to San Antonio like, this is the last chance. This is the last chance. So I grew up pretty much the oldest and very privy to the fact that sometimes marriages don't work out. And where do you go from there? I think. How, I, old, how old were you when, when they actually called it? I, I think I was 11. I was 11 years old when that Okay, happened. so that's pretty young. It was, it, it was young and I was, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and it was... I think my mom and dad were sorting out themselves so much that they didn't notice that I got into the arts. Neither one of them would have approved of that. <laughs> I never told them that I was in choir. I never told them that I was in drama. By the time they noticed, it was way too late. It was way too late. And I had found my family in those environments. And I went to school. I went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. I know my dad in particular was like, you're going to go into the service. You're going to go into the army. And I'm like, uh, bye, <laughs> I, you know, because I got a scholarship to go there. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I, I learned um, the school I went to, it, it was called the American Musical and Dramatic Academy. And when people ask me, what was it like when you went to AMDA? I always say this. AMDA was the best thing that ever happened to me because it taught me that I didn't know anything about show business. And that is the mm. best thing <laughs> because we have this, you know, this like, oh, I can do this and I'm going to be a star and all that. It, they taught you the reality of like, you know, if you get summer stock working as a singer dancer, you're, you're lucky because there are so many dancers and singers and actors and the money is just not there to produce these shows. To have singers here, dancers here, actors here, in the 90s in particular, you started to see a lot of Broadway productions go into, if you didn't sing, dance, and act, you weren't going to get cast. Like you had- Yeah, you had to be a triple threat. It was a money-saving thing at that time. And and people were like, oh, I'm a great singer, but I can't, I have two left feet and all that. It was a really interesting time for performers because there was so little work. I take that back. There was a lot of work for men, there wasn't a lot of work for women. There were like a gazillion women at every call. Gorgeous, talented, beautiful women, Amanda. But with men, everyone uh, was either working or dead because this was at the time of AIDS. And I would go to these amazing jobs that were like, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you this, we're going to give you this. 
And I'd go there and there would be like eight people as opposed to 800 girls on the other oh, side. Wow. And they'd be like, do you want the job? <laughs> and I'd be like, well, let me think about it now that I have some leverage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, let's talk about that money. Yeah. Well, I got, um, so I have a couple of questions for you. First one is, you know, it sounds like your dad is a proud military man and there was probably a lot of pressure on you for that. Like, how did you handle that pressure? Because when I was a kid, I couldn't say no. I still, I'm 39 and I still can't say no to my my mother um, about things. Like, you knew like the military wasn't your path and like you knew that in your heart. But like for you to, you know, stand up to your to your dad and to your family and I don't know who, I don't know if it's a military family that you have and, you know, and you're the oldest and there's probably, you know, a lot of pressure for you to continue this, this on. Yeah. Everybody had served actually, now that I think about it. And if I understand what you're asking me, you're asking me about my relationship with my father. Is that what you're asking me? More or less. Yeah. yeah. But also like how maybe I'm asking you for me to stand up to my mother who will listen to this podcast. But um, I guess what I'm thinking about me as a teenager, like I, even though there were things I, I liked, I, I didn't always have the courage to to say, I'm going to pursue these things. Like for me, college wasn't an option. Um, luckily, it is a thing I wanted to do. But if even if I didn't, it was not an option in my family. It was just a thing you did. And I was never going to challenge that. I would never right. tell my mom, uh, I'm not going to do this. It's like my parents were the first generation to go to college in our family. And I was going to be the second. And they weren't. Mm-hmm. And there was going to be no setbacks. We were not moving backwards on that. So I... Uh, and I'm, we are not a military family at all, but I just from talking to other people in military families, there's often that generational, like we are a military family, which means you would continue that on. And for you to not only say, I'm not going to do this, but I'm going to go to AMDA and I'm going to pursue these things that you might not necessarily find valuable that I find valuable and that I need to do. Like how, you know, how was that? And we will get into the coming out stuff that that's going right. to um, w- we will talk about that. That's a separate you know, piece. You know, I think you touched upon something that that is helpful in my answer to you. My, my dad did see anything that has to do with art as not valuable, which is ironic because everything that I think my father is about is based on some movie, some film <laughs> that he saw, you know, like <laughs> John Wayne situation. He loves the guitar. I've never been a guitar person. He does love the guitar, uh, but he seemed, and he's very misogynistic. I mean, I, I, I would say that to his face, and I think anybody who knows him would say that as well. And having to have these difficult conversations, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have the courage to have these conversations with my dad. I remember a situation where my dad said once, when he found out I was sing, uh, singing and dancing in a show, he was like, boy, what are you going to do? If there's another war, you're going to sing and dance. And my sister, who's always come to my rescue, I remember her saying, Dad, what are you going to do if there's another renaissance? You're going to shoot people? (laughs) (laughs) And I've had wonderful (laughs) defenders in my family who have spoken for me. And I think my own voice towards my father, and, and I think this is an important conversation to have, Amanda, because we do, as humans look towards our, not just our parents, but specifically our fathers for something, something. (laughs) I mean, if it's approval, wonderful, but sometimes anything, you know, because my dad, I think my, I think where my dad and I aired 
uh, in our relationship. And it's, it's, we still struggle. We still struggle. As a matter of fact, um, nothing has changed since I was, I was younger. We have been in each other's lives, but usually the only thing that I think we're comfortable talking about is when someone passes away or something happens where I can send him a text and say, listen, I'm sorry for your loss. I knew you were close to that person. Uh, that just happened. And, and I thought that was an opportunity to let him know that, hey, listen, we don't agree. <laughs> and I'm living my best life here and you're living your best life here. And the only thing that we have in common is that we're related. I don't want that to feel like bad energy at all. And it's really funny, Amanda, I'm one of those people, and and feel free to disagree. Anyone who's listening, same. I'm one of those people who believes that when you run into bad energy, like let's say bad energy with one's father, and you grow up and you live your life and you run into people who you have friction with, I feel that that is a continuance of the exact same energy. It's not a new person who works in the office you just happen to not get along with. I think that is directly related to that energy that you are, that you you really, it's, it's, it's repellent almost to your spirit. And that goes the other, the other way. You haven't, how many times have you had a person come up to your show, Amanda, after your show and say, oh my God, I love you so much. And they're talking to you as if they know you because you have connected to a positive energy from their past. I think literally it's like the Crayola crayons box. I think there's only that spectrum of color and energy and that we are exchanging and producing and sharing those energies all the time. It's almost like that science fiction idea of like, there are only 500 people in the world and they keep getting recycled and recycled. <laughs> Some people have the same faces. I think that it's like that with energies. And so me dealing with my dad has helped me to deal with homophobic audience members and maybe homophobic hecklers. Because when I do have those experiences, I go, oh, this is that energy I have yet to deal with. Let's do this now. <laughs> In the middle of the show, let's do it. <laughs> That's yeah, but that's a good way to look at it. I was, I was, you know, when you were talking about energy, I was like, I agree with you because now I'm in therapy now, and it, it is a lot about that. Like, what are your intentions, and what are you putting out into the world? Absolutely. And what are you getting back, and how are you, you know, dealing? Like, instead of just because you could just ignore your dad, you know, you could just be like, hey, we don't agree. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. But you're still trying to connect and engage and find mm. positive connections of energy there, and that's really cool. I just hope that in, in doing so, I hope that when I do put out that energy to someone who continuously does not give positive energy back, I hope that one day someone will afford that to me when, you know, when, when I feel that it's just my turn to be in that situation. Someone, I'm in LA now, I was connecting with some LA friends two nights ago, and we we're talking about, you know, you can't take everyone with you on the journey. And you see on you see these memes on social media all the time too. Oh, my life is so much better once I got rid of those negative people. And it's getting it's all this like, you know, rally to get rid of negative people. And we were sharing our own experiences about that. And I said to her, you know, these people who I decided to not communicate with anymore, I feel like I should reach out to them and explain to them why. And she looked me straight in the eye and she goes, but why, Jade? 
And I, I wanted to be honest with her and I, I could not think of an answer to her why. And I said, well, what is, later on I said, well, what is your feedback about, you know, my idea of reaching out to them? She goes, before you talk to someone in a situation like that, she says, there are three things you should ask yourself. Is it kind? Is it true? Or is it necessary? She says, if the answer is no to either one of those questions, then don't do it. And I, I was floored by that. I was like, this is why I'm on tour so I can meet all these amazing people. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise you'd just be at home messaging people. <laughs> yeah, I'm going go like, I'm really sorry about what I did. And they're like, who cares, Jade? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you gotta look at like who you're doing it for. Like I think motivation's important too. But yeah, is mm-hmm. it is it kind? Is it gonna help lead to like a good place? Is it necessary? Mm-hmm. Is it is is it gonna gonna help heal things or is it gonna create a problem? Because you have to look at too the person receiving the messages and how they're receiving them. Right, right. And 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 sometimes you can continue to be a doormat to people and not even realize that. There was a tweet a friend of mine, a fellow comedian, said after uh, Kanye West did or said something else, he, his tweet was like, that's it, Kanye. We're so tired of you. You only get 79 more chances. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that's such a great joke because it is. it speaks to, at least to me, the <laughs> idea of how we enable people and keep giving them chances when it's not really deserved, arguably. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, Kanye really is pushing that. Like, <laughs> if anybody's been pushing it, Kanye really, really is. Yeah. I, I want to ask, and this is a question we ask everybody, um, and I would usually ask it sooner, but I feel like it's going to tie some things together because we've kind of bounced around, you know, different eras in your life. But um, it's it's the coming out question. But the way that I ask it is because coming out is not as simple as when did you come out? I think it's layered. It's complicated. Um, it's different for every single person. Um, but I think it's important. It's an important part of every queer person's journey. But I think also for queer performers, because like you are traveling around and you are connecting with audiences as a queer performer and and talk, you know, and engaging with people. And I think it's important to look at it as this like layered question. So our question is, um, when did you come out to yourself? Um, When did you come out to friends and family? And then when did you come out on stage, if ever, or were you always on stage out identifying as queer? Or was that a process? There's a fourth element to to my experience. And that's when I came out out to the press. Oh, okay. That's professional here. That's different. Yeah. Because that was, uh, uh, it was... When you ask all those questions, Amanda, literally I'm going through, okay, it was that time, that time. And those times were not related at all. Uh, yeah. And we I can break that- it down. I just, I like to present it all together because I think they all kind of, all the pieces kind of play with each other, you know, and, and they intertwine, but you can take each piece. You can answer one piece and not the like, however you, you know, you want to, you want to take this on. It is your call. It's just, that's kind of what we're looking for is that, that experience and that journey. Okay, so I'm just going to put this out there. I know this could be discussed and debated by loads of people, but you know, there's there's that idea of like, oh, you're too young as a child to know that you're gay. But I remember very vividly 
watching an episode of Dallas on TV and going to bed and my heart was a flutter because I was in love with J.R. Ewing. Mm. And I was maybe seven. <laughs> Did or you keep eight. watching Dallas? Because I heard something bad happens to him. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. And by then I was all, I had moved on by then. But this was oh, early okay. on because I like bad boys. I've always liked would have been very tragic. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, was, I was an adult enough of a kid to handle the spoiler that you're talking about. Okay, so that's that. To my family, <laughs> I don't know why I tried to, to do this, but it didn't work. But I mean, I got the point but across. We, yeah, before we go before we go there, though. So like you watch Dallas, your heart's a flutter. Yeah. Did you take that in or were you like, that's a strange thing or that's, you know. Not at all. Not at like, all. I knew, like, I knew I was okay. gay. I knew I was gay. And I knew I knew what that meant to me and I knew what it meant in my family. I knew that right away I knew I had to have boundaries about what I talked about and I knew that my life would be different. It's funny, I've never thought about that until this moment, but I had an understanding that I had to lie and I had to hide my true feelings all the time. Why why do you think you had that? Was it a topic like that was discussed? Oh my god, my dad has guns. My dad has guns <laughs> and my dad talked about killing gay people all the time. Okay. So, so uh, no, it was very clear. <laughs> it was not a safe environment. And then also on, on my mother's side, they were, dev- they were, they were devout Catholics and they were ve- very religious if they weren't. As a matter of fact, I have an uncle who's gay who had a partner at that time. And it was so like obvious, but he was conditioned to it it was weird they had the same bed we would go to their houses he would do all those gay things but we never discussed it and people kept just talking to my speaking about my uncle's partner as his roommate and that they're going to be roommates until one of them gets married and all that stuff and so even as as a child I was like um (laughs) do you see the green in my eye (laughs) I mean I, I I uh, what, there's a huge pink elephant in the room and she's doing the cha-cha. <laughs> um, yeah. So ironically, even though it was very homophobic in the house and in my family, there was that element. And to this day, my uncle, it's very seldom that we talk about gay things. Very, I could count them on one hand. He just comes from a time period when you didn't do it. You didn't talk about it. But to my mom and my sister... I did at different times. I think I told my mother straight up, I was going to go to Germany for a show. And I had a boyfriend that I was serious about at the time. And I told her and her answer was a mother knows these things already. You don't have to tell. Oh wow! Yeah. And I was, I appreciated that. My sister, I had taken her on a gig while I was playing Spider-Man in the Catskills for Thanksgiving weekend. And I brought her on and threw her in a cookie monster outfit. And that night, I was like, I, I did that. Well, I told you I was gay, right? And she's like, no, no, Jade, you didn't. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this guy, Jeffrey, is my, he's my boyfriend and all that. And so I didn't know how to tell her because she continues to be an important part of my life. Anyway, so the other time was show business, like on stage. Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, yeah. When did you come out to yourself? When did you come out to friends and family? And then when did you come out? I guess publicly. I guess we can add the press to that. But was 
being queer always part of your comedy or was that something that you like worked into it or worked so I would, to talk about? I was an actor and among my folks, and this is as early as 18 years old, among the people that I was working with, they all knew that I was gay. So I, and I, and I talked about my life as a gay person, 17, 18, doing community theater and all that stuff. I was very comfortable, but publicly that didn't happen. I started, I released an album in 2000 and that album, uh, I was a Latin pop singer. And because Ricky Martin had not come out, I think the whole like industry was kind of like, especially the gay world was like, well, we really need him to come out. And I released an album with people who had produced who had worked with a lot of people he had worked with. So the music and the sound was competitive. You can listen to this stuff on Spotify. It's it's still there. It's a whole other oh, part of my career that, you know, people don't know about. Anyway, so I remember I started doing Pride events. I did Brooklyn Pride 1999. That was my first one. And then I did other Prides because I was like, wow, this is like, they like my music and Lesbians love Latin pop music, by the way. Oh, I was so surprised. I, was say, I, I met Enrique Iglesias at an autograph signing. I was all in on Ricky Martin, all of that. Yeah, yeah and I was cool. like, oh my goodness, because I would see, you know, the whole <laughs> ocean full of audience members, and it was so many lesbians really digging the music. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I was doing a whole bunch of prides, and I believe it was Utica, no, 2000. Utica Pride, which is Central New York Pride, 2000 or 2001, they had they asked me on the record, are you gay? Basic question, but somehow I had just like, you know, publicly, like with the press, I knew if I put it out there, remember how show business used to be. You're never going to get these roles. You're never going to get these opportunities. If you put yourself out as gay, you are kind of done. But I felt like this might be a new time. And I said, I, something in my gut tells me that I need to keep going forward with this. And so I told the newspaper in Utica, New York, that I was. And the next thing I know, the Advocate and Out magazine called me and they interviewed their beautiful articles that when I first came out, they're still online. I loved Out magazines. It, they had me laying on a thing of roses and it says a whole lot of Estrada. <laughs> I thought, I've always thought that was cute. And that for me, I think because my whole life has been about show business, I think that was the most important coming out part for my life because it affected everything that I did. I had some doors closed. Yes, of course. But for the most, I did, I've done over 350 pride events. I did Euro pride. I did, uh, I went all over doing it. I, one of the most, I'm going to tell you this just in case I get hit by a bus tomorrow, because I think this was one of the most wonderful moments, not wonderful, but like significant, like memorable moments of my life. Euro pride in 2003, I believe, no, 2001 was held at a place called Heldenplatz in Vienna. And it's this place where all these huge historical events have always taken place. It's like they're in front of like the White House sort of thing. It's more like their government uh, building. And this awesome like uh, 
Aus- Austrian lesbian who was running the whole thing. You know, she's very broken English. She's like, we're really happy to have you here. You know, and I was like, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. She goes, you're going to be performing on this stage. And she goes, do you know the significance of Heldenplatz? And I'm like, actually, no, I don't. And she's like, Jade, the fact that we have pride here is very important to all of Europe. She goes, because the Pope has spoken here, Hitler spoke here, and now you will sing here. Wow. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. Well, not the Hitler yeah. part, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, well, no, it's like the taking back, like the same way of like the taking back of the word queers on a smaller scale of that. It's like, here's this place that was, we were not accepted at, and now right. here you are doing your thing. Right. I've done that with restaurants where like boyfriends have, and I have had bad experiences and then it doesn't work out. I'm like, I have to go and have lunch in this restaurant because I have to just not have a bad association with this place anymore. Yeah, you got to reclaim it. You got to reclaim it for you. I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. Sometimes people are like, I'm never going there again. And I'm like, no. Like when I was 19 years old, I got in a really bad car accident. Oh my. Um, and I, I, I was okay, but the car was told. My car like went off the side of the highway and caught on fire. Oh my god. Like goodness. I was fine. Like I had a, a, the worst thing that happened was I skinned my knee and, um, and I ripped my jeans and they were my favorite jeans. Uh, ripped jeans, <laughs> jeans weren't quite back in then. So, um, but I like, thankfully unscathed, my friend was with me unscathed, but like, it was really bad. And I was like, I'm never driving again. And both of my parents were like, you are driving again. They were like, here's my, the keys to my car. I will go with you. You were driving to the grocery store. You're, they were like, get back out there and reclaim this. And I'm so Amen. glad. Amen. Amen. Preach, I'm, girl. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> it's 20 years later. And I might have just walked away from driving at 19. And my life would have been a lot harder without, you know, without that easy transportation. But And it was just that idea of like, oh, this bad thing happened. I'm, ne- I'm just never doing it again. Right. And I'm so glad that they like pushed me in that way. But it's so cool the way that that lady, I wish you had like her, that lesbian, the Austrian lesbian speech like captured on. That'd be a sweet TikTok, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be. It would <laughs> if be only she had known 20 years ago, <laughs> 22 years ago. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's been, it's been quite a ride. It's uh, seen prides evolve. Amanda has been incredible. It's been really an incredible experience. You know, you see so often these days gay people saying they, they, they don't want to go to Pride's because there's too many straight people there. <laughs> it's become like a, a, a Walmart a Walmart of fest- festivities. Um, <laughs> it, it, it just speaks to just the natural evolution of, of, of the development of our species. You know, we're, we, we have to go through these. I mean, Pride, the, the name itself, Pride. You know, I think that's something that you say and exercise when you you feel you haven't been seen, you know, and I'm like, well, I'm going to get out there. and I'm going to be this. And I know that, again, I didn't choose that experience, but I came into this world going, whoa, people are coming after me for something I had nothing to do with, you know. Yeah. And then as we move forward in life, you realize, I think it's time to let that part go so that we can all, as human beings, no matter where we come from, move forward. Yeah, absolutely. Regardless of gender, regardless of ethnicity and all that stuff. Yeah, and to be your true authentic self. I never get that when people are just like, have you tried being straight? And I'm like, do you, like, 
do you really like, do you want me? And I did, I went out, I used to, until I came out, I dated guys and it was probably terrible for them. It was terrible for me. I'm not interested in that. So pushing me to do that is not like, I'm not living my true authentic self and they're not either. Right. And it, that doesn't logically make sense, but, but yeah, it is. It's so great. Like I went to pride uh, two years ago, three years ago, COVID, sorry, uh, the year before COVID, 2019, I went to Pride in Mobile, Alabama. Nice. And it was amazing. And there were like Harley Davidson kind of dudes with like gay pride shirts on. And it was so cool. And I never thought in my lifetime I'd see that or that that, you know, would be a a safe space, period. Mm -hmm. But it was a great day at a drag show. They had, you know, it was right by the water there. They had all kinds of booths. It was fantastic. And it's so cool that like that is is happening um, and and continues to happen. So I'm going to ask you this before we get out of here, but what's what's next for you? Well, the Jade in America tour continues through 2023 and, you know, probably into 2024. And I am continuing to take in the answers to the questions I set out to, to find in the first place. You know, who are we after all these experiences that we've had? There, there have been three things that I'd love to share with you, if you don't mind, about comedy and about touring. The first one is the need to be relatable. Like relatability is super important. And the second thing is adaptability. And I think we've touched upon that on the record and off the record about how, you know, sometimes you got to take a step back and be like, you know, meet the audience where they are. I think that's, that's super important. And see relatability, adaptability, and humility. You really have to submit. You submit to the, uh, you know, when you when you're when they shut the doors and the comedy show starts. One rule that has one thing. This rule, this 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 thing that we have in comedy is the truth of the room. And truth in the room when comedy is happening is like a religion. And if you don't call something out or you ignore something or you try to cookie cutter your content to an audience that is not getting it at all, when in fact you're, you're, you're going against the religion of truth in the room. And sometimes you're going to fight against that because you have a whole show that goes great with every other room except this one. And, and you're like, I have to be humble and realize that this time was a learning experience and that maybe I did crowd work the whole time because I had to get to know who they were. And maybe we had a different show than what I had planned. But that whole, if you click on humility of those three things, relatability, uh, adaptability, and humility, you know, there's a whole world of reasoning as to why that is probably the most important thing on that list. Yeah, no, I, I agree that all those things interplay together. Absolutely. Um, if, if what you're saying on stage isn't relatable, and it doesn't have to be relatable in like, you know, like most of the audiences that I perform in front of are straight identifying audiences. I talk about gay shit all the time. They don't have to be gay to get it. They have to relate to whatever that experience is, you know, of maybe not fitting in or maybe, you know, having to tell your parents something difficult. Like there's still like a piece of of truth and humanness in there that they can relate to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Adaptability is important because, and that goes along with humility. You have to have, if you're doing a set that's not working just on a comedy level, 
it doesn't matter if you planned this eight minutes and you're going to do these five jokes. If it's not working, you need to adapt. You need to have the humility to say it's not working. Um, you don't need to turn on the audience and say, you don't know what's funny. You're an idiot. You, <laughs> like, you have to have the humility to say like, okay, it's not working. It doesn't mean that these aren't good jokes. It doesn't mean that I'm not doing well. It's just not working. And then, you know, you're, you're able to adapt to something else and find something that gets them in. There's a part of me that wants to tell every comedian I've ever seen who's yelled at the audience for not getting their jokes. There's a part of me that wants to just, like as they're leaving the stage, probably before their time is up, I just want to push them back on stage and be like, (laughs) no, you go right back out there and tell some jokes. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's so funny. You know, it's, it's sad for comedy when that happens. And this is for our listeners, you know. If you go to a show and a comedian gets mad at you for not laughing at their joke, that's not the way it's supposed to go. But I, I think it's, um, it, again, another learning experience for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think it's funny, um, though. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't wait for your book. If you got all these gems in there, I'm excited. I'm, I'm already, I'm learning. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. And, and I want to continue to learn uh, about all these experiences I'm having with human beings. I'll leave you with this because I know we got to wrap this up, but I did a show in LA on Sunday and it was an afternoon show and it was an outdoor thing. And rookie me (laughs) didn't ask a very important question of the parking garage. What time do you close the garage on a Sunday? So I think I was about 30 minutes too late and the whole thing was shut down. And there I was with only my bag of costumes, my short, my small carry-on bag. And I was dressed like Peg Bundy and I had a Santa Claus hat on and my phone is at like 3%. (laughs) And my charger charger is in the car. The keys (laughs) to the house is in the car. I was like, what do I do? So I reached out and I called some burlesque friends of mine who came to my rescue immediately. I love them to death. And they they sent me uh, down the street to another burlesque family member who I didn't know. They said, go to this place. This is how you get in. I said, cool, because they were on the way. And I, I was crossing 7th and Grand in downtown LA. And I'm crossing the street and this guy stares at me. He's cisgendered. He looks kind of rough and tumble straight guy and he goes are you bi i was like uh are you gay and i was like uh i'm trying to figure out how to answer these two questions and he goes you're not gay you're just into drag right and i was like why are you asking me this he goes because i want to do drag i want to i want to do i want to be like you and rupaul and I was like, well, then you should do that, my friend. Yeah, I should do it. I should do it. And he asked me how I should do it. I told him a couple of things and then he left. And I walked away going, again, another interesting experience about who I'm running into, how they are looking at me, what they feel that they, you know, a lot of people come to you and they'll tell you something very personal. And and that really is an amplification of where we are, I think, as a whole culture when it comes to 
trans identity when it comes to gender issues. I think that interaction for me told me a lot, you know, about the willingness to ask questions and the willingness to go back at something that we've always believed and say, hey, maybe we were wrong about this. And I think that's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. And for him to feel, even he didn't know you, but there must have been like a feeling of energy of like, this is a safe space for me to express this. Mm -hmm. And rather than making it about me, like, oh my God, you know, security, (laughs) or I, I was like, you know what, I have to realize that this is the way the universe is using me in this moment. And I'm going to tell him the very best, give him the very best answer that I have and just move on knowing that in some way I was part of his journey, but only because I was open to what the universe had to to show me today. Yeah, that is beautiful. And that is a beautiful way for us to, I always like to end it on a high note. So that's perfect. That was a positive interaction and it kind of tied everything together nicely. You nailed it, Jade. Thank I'm feeling you. good about it. Yeah, me too. Uh, real, Real quick, uh, and we'll put this all in the liner notes and on our social media, but if you just want to share where where folks can find you. Sure. You can always find me on my website, getjaded.com, and find out where I'm going to be, hopefully in in a city near you. Uh, My social media is on Instagram. I'm the Prada Enchilada. On Twitter, I'm getjaded, and you can find me on Facebook on both those names. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for being part of the Near and Queer to My Heart family. And hopefully next time you're in New Orleans, we get to hang out again. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Amanda. Appreciate it. Did y'all have a good holiday Christmas situation? Yeah, spend time with your family? Ooh, got dark there for a second. We were having a good time, Jade, until you set up family. I get it. I come from a very diverse family. My sister's a hardcore Christian. My brother's a right-wing conspiracy theorist. Gay Mexican comedian was the only thing that was left. I have a very strained relationship with my father. Surprise. It started when I was 11. He got me a tackle box for my birthday. But I was so scared of my dad that I didn't have the courage to tell him how much I hated the gift. But it all worked out in the end because it's been the best makeup box I've ever owned. <laughs> my dad is very homophobic. Like over Christmas, he was like, being gay, that's not natural. I'm like, dad, isn't it feasible that I may have inherited my mother's insatiable hunger for cock? <laughs> You need to like things that are more masculine. I do, I like men. And the pepper. I got them daddy issues, you guys. But you know what they say, shake what your trauma gave you. All the Estradas have a very harsh way of communicating and they got that from my grandma Alvina, my, my, my dad's mom. She used to always say, no mistakes. No matter what task you're assigned, she'd say, no mistakes, which sounded a lot like namaste, but meant nothing of the sort. She was a tough crowd, but you guys are a great crowd. Give it up for yourselves. Fabulous. The little crowd that could. 
You know, I think the other comedians would back me up when I say this. To us, you guys are like family. Because our own families refuse to see us. <laughs> like you, sir, sitting there with John John, you're having a good time. You were a little bit on the fence for most of the beginning of my show. But now the barriers have crumbled down like the Berlin Wall. Like I feel like I can tell you anything. What's your name? Arturo. I'm gonna call you Artie. Because what I'm gonna do to you is a work of art. Artie, you are a very handsome man. Yeah, I have no gag reflex. You see, for me to reach out and meet new people. How about a hand job with no eye contact? I didn't, I didn't know him before the show started, but now I can stalk him on the social. Sodomy, don't bother me, that's all I'm saying. Will you accept a post-dated check? You give it up for Artie, ladies and gentlemen, who's gonna have a good sport here tonight. to ride my face like a mechanical bull, I'm not gonna say no. Cause we're in Texas. Come and take it. Where are my Texans in the house? Make some noise. Hey, most of you are here, most of you are here. Okay, that's cool, let me do a little test. The stars at night are big and bright. Why don't you know that song, John John? Seize him. In my travels, I have noticed that people have a strange view of us Texans, and you just demonstrated why. A couple years ago, I was at a cafe in Italy grabbing an espresso, and the cashier, noticing my accent, asks me where I'm from. When I told him Texas, his eyes lit up with excitement, and he goes, Mamma mia, a Texas! A bang, a bang, a bang, a bang, a bang! A <laughs> Apparently, our branding is Yosemite Sam. <laughs> a cartoon with anger management issues. Of course. You know, uh, Texas is an open carry state, which means it is perfectly legal for folks to walk around with a loaded pistol on their person. Which kind of takes the fun out of foreplay, doesn't it? I could be like, hey, cowboy, is that a gun in your pocket? Never mind, it's a gun, it's a gun! Sun's out, gun's out. Am I right, freedom lovers? I know you're out there lurking in the darkness. Thank you to Jade for sharing his world with you. Special thank you to Ryan Golub, who created our theme song. Social media with us. You can find us on Twitter at Queer to My Heart and on Instagram and Facebook at Near and Queer to My Heart. And if you like what you heard, go on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. We would appreciate it. Thank you and see you all next time. Thank you.
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.